Please be seated. Amen. That hymn, um, Dynamite, and the uh, Gettys that have been uh, writing and composing uh, are still cranking, cranking out contemporary new hymns uh, of distinct doctrinal uh, strength that is a great joy. Well, a great joy is a unanimous vote and acceptance of a call for a lead pastor to come to this church. Wow, wow, wow. To put things in perspective, I have never had a unanimous vote, ever. Well, actually, I had one. It didn't even go to the congregation. The elders uh, at the church where I started out in youth and music ministry, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, the pastor came out and said, uh, we know you're, you're, you're longing to be in the trenches again, and uh, if you would be willing to leave seminary, uh, the elders are unanimous in calling you back to be the youth pastor at, at this church. That's the only unanimous call I had, and it's the one that I said no to because I, I knew, in fact, that pastor understood, I knew that um, uh, I had been called to uh, that discipline of study. Uh, you know, I've talked before about the, the, the question tract is a tool. These are symbolic tools, uh, things that are for our use to declare our love for the Lord and to, to grow in strength. And I knew that I didn't have a very, very big toolbox for the next, uh, as it turns out, the next 43 years of ministry. And so I stuck with it. I learned the Hebrew. I learned the Greek. I took all the classes. I wrote the paper. Uh, you that are suffering through your college exams and high school and stuff, yeah, no sympathy. My, my, my master's thesis was... A masterful piece of work coming from me. Um, it only took me two years to write it. So uh, I did all that because it equipped me with a toolbox. And uh, it's been very, very helpful. But unanimous call. Um, the unity that the Spirit of God has produced here is absolutely amazing. God has taken you through a long but prosperous journey. And uh, I am totally thrilled uh, with a young man, a young but experienced man. What a combination. Um, with family uh, coming in here, and he's going to hit the street running. So my task over the next seven Sundays is to help get you up to speed. We've been preparing all through this. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prepare things for you, for you to be the perfect church. Um, so here, here's, here's, a, here's an article about the per perfect church. Actually, it's a poem. I think I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be. A church whose members never stray beyond a straight and narrow way. A church that has no empty pews whose pastor never has the blues. A church whose deacons always deek, and none is proud, and all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies, or make complaints, or criticize. 
where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. And that's all God asks. The perfect church is the one uh, that has been warming up and rehearsing in the throne room of heaven that we will be privileged either by death or by the rapture to join in an absolutely perfect body of Christ experience. Until then, we're just working on it. So, uh, having said that, I'm going to take you to some passages uh, that if I roll too fast, you, you can look at them and know where they are, because some of these you've heard from me before. And I call this starting at the end. Paul, or, or Barnabas, wrote in the, in the last chapter of Hebrews chapter 13 some very wonderful stuff. Uh, verses uh, 15, where he says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, that sacrifice being the fruit of lips, that confess his name. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. He closes with this capsule, um, prayer, benediction, greeting, admonition. May the Lord, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's a, it's a fitting capsulized benediction to all that Paul taught about building the church in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4, I'm going to read a scripture that is the setting for this, this church that we want to be pleasing, and then second thesis, that we want to be worthy. And the basis for that is the very Word of God. So I'm going to ask if you would stand and honor the reading of the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is, Paul is writing, and uh, it, it, he's moving towards this theme of unity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Then in verse 7, he talks about the tools God gave to us to help preserve the unity of peace. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceit, deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, I pray this morning as we examine uh, this passage that you would cast vision in our hearts and cause us to burn with passion that we would be a church that is worthy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. May be seated. So, in this passage, verses 11 through 16, chapter 4 of Ephesians, I believe that there's four evidence of a pleasing and worthy church. Number one, in verse 11, it's a gifted church. And, and, and God says it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Four categories of gifts. I have good news for you, and I have bad news for you. It's the same news. God gifted me to this church for this time. I'm God's gift to you. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> and might not be so good news. He equipped, he called, he, he trained, he moved me to do his work as a pastor, as a pastor teacher. Um, but he used a normal, fleshly man. So the battle becomes, do I walk in the spirit or do I, do I walk in the flesh? And depending on some days, I'm good news. Other days, I might not be so good news. All of us pastor teachers pray that we are walking in the worthy and pleasing manner of good, good news. Gift. Now, I, I, uh, there's a whole message about these four gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Uh, but if you'll note that uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to give a message about, about these four gifts. Uh, at, the, at that time, the apostles uh, were men who had seen and experienced the risen Lord, the capital A apostles. Now, uh, I do not believe the scriptures teach that there are any living apostles today men who have experienced flesh and blood or distinct vision of, of the Lord. I think that in establishing the church, he used capital P prophets to declare the word, which until, until Christ was resurrected, this was the only part of the word that we had. So he used the prophets to proclaim revelation. I believe he is done with that. Um, he also used evangelists, capital E, in a way that many of us had, have, have prayed for. Oh God, give me the gift of evangelism. Oh, well, here I am. But instead, he says, we're all to do the work of a small e evangelist. And then uh, the pastors and teachers, something new, replacing rabbis and Pharisees and Sadducees who were used of God but had become focused on minutia, details, and legalism. 
And as you know, as you've read, read your New Testament, you realize that, that all three have came under great rebuke from our Lord Jesus Christ at times. In fact, the, the most famous passage that we should all be acquainted with, John 3.16, came out of, a, came out of a, a kind of a gentle but still rebuke that Jesus gave to Nicodemus, who is one of the ruling rabbis. Because you see, you can, you can know, you can know the book, you can cherry pick the verses and beat people up with it, but it doesn't mean that you know the book. So this is something new, these small A apostles. Um, and the best way to think of them today are people who the Spirit of God just nudges them to be planters. Uh, right now, I trust you're still praying for, for uh, Pastor Christian and Rebecca and their family. I mean, this guy is just on fire, just totally energized and jazzed because he's planting a church. Uh, I, I tried that in Michigan. It lasted about six months, and then the people that I was using to help plant, they said, you might have other gifts. <laughs> yeah, pastor, teacher. Uh, but God wires some people, that lights their fire to go into a community and start fresh. In fact, uh, possibly a sad statement upon the culture of the American church today, more, vastly more seminary graduates uh, leave at the ripe old age of 25 to 30 years old from seminary, and they're going to do it right, and that means they're not going to pastor an established church. They're going to plant a new one. Oh boy, would it be fun to see what, what they think 30 years from now. But anyhow, um, you know, they desire the planting work rather than the struggling work of dealing with a, a group that is already possibly bound by rituals and traditions um, these guys love to plant churches. Uh, the prophets, the small, pre, the small p prophets, um, they're the people with an edge. I call them the truthers. They tell the truth uh, without taking a lot of time to uh, put any ketchup or mustard or pickles or even slide it into a bun. They're just going to give you the meat of the truth. Um, they're going to tell you the hard things. They're going to be sensitive to the Spirit of God when, when he might be cringing. I believe he regularly cringes. Uh, we know that from scriptures, especially with Israel, the chosen people, the blessed people. Man, did he have a cycle of cringing with them. And I believe it's still possible with us. And these truthers... Um, we would say culturally they lack finesse, they're blunt, they're too direct. It's all true, but their, their passion is truth. And, and, and saying the, the king has no clothes, you know, they're truthers. So there's planters, there's truthers, and then evangelists, small evangelists today. I call them gatherers. You know, they endure a worship service so that they've got a place and a people that they can invite their friends and the, the, the gas station attendant and the clerks at Target. Uh, come, come to Grace. You'll love that experience. 
They gather people to Christ. They'll gather them to Bible studies, to small groups, to churches, uh, to Christian radio stations, because they love the Lord and want others to love him as well. It's not a gift, it's an exercise, but God the Spirit is prompting them. And then there's the small p, small t, pastor, teacher. They're not two different people. The pastor who doesn't teach isn't exercising fully God's call in his life. The pastor who doesn't, or the teacher who doesn't shepherd, that's, he's, he's, got a, he's got a school of Pharisees that he's breeding there. Um, so I call them equippers. The pastor teacher equips. You give me the privilege once a week to say, hey, let's go. It's second quarter. Let's go. Come on, it's halftime. Let's retool here a little bit and use your tools. But let's go. Let's go out and do the work of an evangelist. Let's go out and find people that need the Lord um, and to be equipping. Now, all four of these apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, they work within the realm of purpose. They know why. Passion. It's focused. uh, Proclamation and productivity. We are a physical manifestation of the working of those four small letter giftings of a group of people in Harrisburg that said, Palmyra needs the Lord. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I was thinking about these and and trying to not diminish the impact of the supernatural gifts that God gave in starting the church to the onward gifting prompting of the Holy Spirit in, in building his church to become pleasing and worthy. And I realized in, in, my, in my home Grace Brethren Church, I, as, a, as, a, as a college student, I had a major uh, uh, committal of my life to the Lord, followed by a call to be a pastor, even though I didn't know what that meant to be. Uh, and then I started searching out when I went back to the Ohio State University, searching out a, a Bible preaching church. God sovereignly directed my path toward a Grace Brethren Church, uh, where in a, a very short period of time of, of three years, uh, I, 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 I engaged as a disciple and a learner. They asked me to, to start some music ministry with, work, with youth and then become the youth leader and the choir director. And, and then three years later, I, I know how empty my toolbox is, so I'm running off to seminary to, to learn some stuff that's going to carry me beyond wild and crazy years of being, being a, a young 20-something that loves Jesus. And, uh, and that church is today worshiping with only about 4,000 people uh, because in their last uh, 40 years, they started 18 other churches around the outer belt of Columbus, several that that now worship with more than 4,000. They've got over 250 missionaries and pastors serving in the field. Um, They are an engaged, active, uh, usually, often, pleasing and worthy a group of people. And I thought through what I knew about them, and I went, you know what? Marion Forrest, Ohio Bell manager executive, was the apostle. Moved to Columbus. There was no solid Bible teaching around. He, he called some friends and said, let's start a Bible study in our basement. 
Marion Forrest still lives, still engaged. He's pushing 90. He, uh, the last time I was around him at the time that I was there, he, he was the elder to be the encourager overseer of the, of the youth staff. And so in his late 70s, he would calmly go into our, our gymnasium. We had, we had a three gymnasium complex for our Christian school, and we used it on Sundays for, for teaching and stuff. He would go in on Saturday night uh, to a Christian rock concert put on by the youth pastor and the staff there, and he would just walk in, about time most of the elders were going to bed, and, and he would just calmly pull up a chair in the back wall and then twist in earplugs in both ears and just sit there and encourage that youth pastor. And uh, the rest of us elders knew that if we were displeased with the youth pastor and criticized him, we would answer to Marion Forrest, the apostle that planted the church. Uh, Prophet Dick Coldren, uh, not a pastor. He was the head of media services for the Columbus public school system. He was a former Marine that maintained that discipline all the way to his life. He was a marathoner. Uh, He was a basketball coach. And he told the word of God to the most uh, dynamic group, he, our, our, our high school students, every Sunday, every Sunday, and then supporting uh, different youth ministries. And many men are now pastoring churches that I go, okay, Dick Coldren had his hands all over them as, as he proclaimed the word of God to them. Uh, and he did it with the style of a, of a prophet. He was a Marine and a coach to the end. He just told it like it was. And because it was truth, they just gathered around him. Then God used Duke Heller, who was an orthodontist. Um, he was some kind of high-powered orthodontist. He's the head of the Department of Dentistry at Ohio State University. And he was one of the guys that created implants, uh, Back in the day, it was just false teeth and wires and things like that. And now they, uh, he was on the cutting edge of that. And uh, Duke, to this day, 80 plus, uh, still actively sharing his faith, writing pamphlets on how to be active in sharing your faith. And the thing gets him up and gets him going every morning is going to see somebody and tell him about Jesus. God used him to help win people to come to Christ. And a pastor-teacher, well, yeah, there was a pastor, a lead pastor of that church for 40 years, Um, but the one I know, the one who had the skill to teach and to shepherd uh, was uh, Dr. Peter Paponis. He was Greek Orthodox, 40 years old when he got saved. Uh, If you sat next to him in church, you could, want, you could realize that he's reading from his Greek New Testament because he, he was Greek and he was Greek Orthodox. He opened his home in a, in a, in a neighborhood for Bible studies and gatherings. And, uh, and he led for 20, 30 years uh, the Saturday morning prayer breakfast of guys. Anywhere from five to 25 uh, guys who were meeting and praying. 
very possibly the power behind the pulpit at the church. And, uh, and I was a youth pastor. I was a brand new, brand new. Um, and uh, farm boy work ethic. So I was in working most Saturdays in my office, getting ready for stuff on Sunday. And uh, every Saturday morning, they'd have donuts and coffee out on the counter in the office area that they would all grab one and go go back to the room to pray. And I regularly was in the office, say, hey guys, how are you? Good? Nah, I got work to do. And then as soon as they were all gone, I'd go grab a donut and a cup of coffee. And, and, uh, and Pete, Pete, a grandfather image who knew and taught the scriptures, he came back out one day and he said, Paul, leans across my desk. He said, he didn't invite me to the prayer meeting. They'd given up on that. Okay? He just leaned across the desk and he said, Paul, you're not going to learn how to pray until you pray. And then he walked out. In other words, I know why you're hiding out. It's unknown. It's fearful. But I'm going to love you. I'm going to teach you. And I started praying with these guys. And so they influenced my life. A church that is going to be pleasing and worthy to the Lord recognizes that they're a gifted congregation. You have gifts. You have abilities. Some would call them skills. Just because you're a good car car salesman doesn't necessarily make you a good evangelist, but you do have some of the characteristics, you know. But but you, you have purpose here as you sit. You have communities, you have spheres of influence, you have families, you have neighbors, you have a world. You know, there's a, there's a group of you that are medical professionals. Well, I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced at my age that other medical professionals are going li- to listen to you more and give you more credibility than they are to a guy who's got a degree in agriculture economics. You have a distinct privilege in community. Every, every one of you, we're a gifted congregation. You want to be a pleasing and worthy uh, church? Recognize the gifting that which God is empowering you to do. Um, uh, D. James Kennedy, who, who uh, pioneered evangelism explosion and built, uh, built a, a significant church in our, in our, our country, uh, he said this, most people think of the church as a drama with the minister as the chief actor. God is the prompter and the laity as the critic. <laughs> what is actually the case is that the congregation is the chief actor. The minister is the prompter and God is the critic. Um, that's healthy. In our culture, I uh, would describe to you um, why, do, why do you need to be a pleasing and worthy church? Because uh, your basketball team is, is not going to be led in points or rebounds by the coach. But your basketball team might play together decisively in moving in one direction and one power and one purpose without a coach. A lot of churches call a pastor thinking he's James LeBron. 
He's going to be the soul winner. He's going to be the scripture teacher. He's going to be the church visitor. He's going to be able to balance the budget and save all sorts of money. Hope you're not in that camp. Uh, if you are, there's other good churches in this community that probably need you. What this church needs is a coach that says, okay, here's the game plan. Now, you know many coaches make for many game plans. And you know that uh, when a new coach comes in pretty soon, there's a shifting of the dominoes. What? The, the, the nation's 10th leading point guard? He just traded to the Seahawks for some bozo? Well, but he's got a game plan. And doesn't mean that that point guard wasn't any good. It means he didn't fit the game plan as established by the coach. Be careful. Be careful you don't go running to the press when your new coach comes in and doesn't set up a game plan that you like. Truly, some might be wired to be in some other coach's game plan, but no one here is wired to be God's prophet to rebuke and disobey the coach. He's coming in as a coach, a coach, a coach. And why, how do I know that? Uh, well, experientially, I confirm it, but especially because of what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.12. And he says, uh, the purpose, the purpose of these gifted people, sticking together. Okay, uh, that's because they still eat donuts when I read my Bible. Um, the the purpose in, 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 in 4.12 is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, to prepare God's people, the word there is equip. And equip in the Greek language means to set a bone When you're setting a bone, there's usually something wrong. When you're setting a bone, there's usually uh, pain. Uh, but you're going to limp and have lifelong pain if you don't set the bone. The pastor teacher in particular is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, his main tool, a sidebar, uh, would be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, because his main tool is the Word of God. And it's, it's powerful and effective in four different ways. Um, he's, his work is to equip you to serve. You are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherd teachers in this community. So a gifted congregation that is equipped to serve, verse 13 says, for the purpose of being united to grow. Verse 13, uh, prepare God's people for works of service until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining 
to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, equipped to serve, united to grow. A reflection of, of, of David uh, when he wrote Psalm 133, 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This was a song of ascent. You know, uh, Old Testament economy, everybody had to go up because Jerusalem was the highest. They had to go up to worship in Jerusalem at the temple where God's Shekinah glory rested, where God met through the priest. And to prepare hearts, David was led to write this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers agree to live together in unity. That was to prepare hearts Later on, Jesus basically said, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're walking up the hill to worship the Lord and you remember that you got aught with a brother, stop what you're doing, time out, park the car at the gas station and go over and make it right with that brother as you prepare your heart and his for worship. Equipped to serve, united to grow. United in, in faith. I think that's reflected in John 3.16. By the way, if you go through John 3.16 uh, and you can underline the words that have gospel in the passage. The gospel is in John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Loves us. Loves us. It's there. United to grow in our faith. Um, uh, knowledge in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 uh, Paul is writing and he says I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his suffer sufferings now did he want to know how to write that as a lawyer well there's a couple words for, for know in the Greek language this one is specifically chosen to be the word to know by experience. There was the no by studying, learning, and then there was the no taking that level of learning on experiential level. Paul knew Jesus, but he wanted to know him in all of his fullness. That's a dynamic, pleasing and worthy congregation that's united in faith and in knowledge, and then it shows up in, in, uh, in maturity. Uh, perfection. And Paul, Paul stops and he goes, not that I've already attained it, but I press on because perfection, uh, which I'm using the word maturity for, maturity comes uh, because you are positionally perfect in, in Christ. He's mine. I died for him. Um, we are progressively perfect. Wow, he's growing. He's learning. He's obeying. He's stepping out. And, and there's ultimate perfection where he says, welcome home. Welcome home. And Paul said, I, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on. Got my eyes on the goal. So a gifted congregation that is equipped to serve and united to grow shows up lastly as a productive congregation. Uh, and I, I call that a productive love in action in verses 14 through 16. Not being immature as infants, tossed about and, and doctrinally weak, verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, 
We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, and he goes into a medical illustration. He hung out with Luke a lot. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Productive love in action shows up being stable, solid biblically, doctrinally, no longer as infants. Uh, equipped with the meat of the word of God. Um, And love in action, productively uh, exercising truth and love. Why do I keep emphasizing what would appear to be the least word in that phrase, and? Truth and love. Well, I'm sure you know, I definitely do, people who who have lived for the truth. They were some of the most negative, legalistic, overbearing, unpleasing people to hang around. But they could slice and dice the Greek and the Hebrew, and they knew. You see, that was that was just the hamburger. No relish, no bun. I also have known people who it's all about love. Now, you remember the generation I grew up in. Peace, brother. Uh, uh, we have symbols for love and everything. You know, um, It's all about love. And there are denominations that are characterized by it's all about love. Now, I'm not sure who they love or what they love or how they love, but they love. And they're characterized by waving in the wind, shallow, immature. Truth without love is legalism. Love without truth is emotionalism. Got to have truth and love. Truth and love. Here's the kicker, because the the truth people many times will say, yeah, but there are times when when he talks about preaching the truth. uh, Doesn't put love in there. Right, right. And then I say, let's have a context. You want to put a wager on this? Spiritually speaking, not not as a brethren that would gamble. Uh, but you, you, you want to put some skin in this game? Let's check out how many times you see him talking about truth only versus how many times he talks about love only. Number one, you've got to throw out all the epistles of John. You know, if, if he doesn't. I believe the Lord builds a pleasing and worthy church by equipping to grow a congregation that balances truth and love. If forced to choose, I think the preponderance of teaching about love far exceeds teaching about truth. Got to have them both, though. Got to have them both. Got to be productive, stable, truth and love, growing together. He says in verse 16, each one. And he, then, he, then he comes back and he, said, and he wraps things up uh, talking about loving again. Verse 16, the congregation, the church builds itself up in love. John wrote in his first epistle, we love. Now, the old King James had good intentions. Some of the scribes inserted, we, we love Christ. It's not in the original languages. It's we love because he first loved us. I'm more equipped to love you, friend, brother, sister, wife, children, because 
I have an understanding of how much he loves me. It's in that standard that, I'm, that I respond and love others as well. Uh, basically, we're to soak it up and squeeze it out. Now, so we... So my thesis is, by the way, that, that whole thing, uh, I don't know what we're going to do now that we're Karis Fellowship. Uh, when we used to be Grace Brethren Church, I would often say, here's, here's the thing we want to be known for in this community. Uh, people don't know what Grace is. They got some weird pictures of what Brethren is, and church is all over the place. But let's have them understand what GBC means, grow by caring. Now, somebody sharper than me and probably younger than me is going to come up with some good memory device built around Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. But truth and love, truth and love. Soak it up, squeeze it out, and then, then we end at the start where Barnabas was closing with this benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May this God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. A pleasing and a worthy congregation. I'm going to close with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He prayed that I, uh, I kneel before the Father and on... Uh, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, a pleasing and worthy congregation, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now you've done some soaking today. Now 